Welcome to our July 2023 Empower Women podcast episode, Investing 101. This month, we were joined by Susie Pandufu, who is a wealth advisor here at Lexington Wealth Management. Susie discussed the basics of investing and what you should consider before you begin. She also shared her insights on strategy, equities, fixed income, your comfort level with risk, and more. Enjoy. I'm Carrie Luria, and I am one of the managing directors and senior wealth advisors here at Lexington Wealth. Um, and we are super excited today to have mm-hmm. our very mm-hmm. own Susie Panduku to lead today's <laughs> session, Intro to Investments. Um, Susie has, well, what she's going to cover today is uh, the basics of investing, what you could think about before you begin. She'll talk about strategy, equity, fixed income, what it all means, um, how to think about investments. And um, Susie's been with Lexington for five years now. Uh, She just had her (laughs) anniversary with us recently. And she works with a a broad range of our clients, um, some of which include some of our, our high net worth family office clients. She has a strong, well, she is a CPA, um, (laughs) a registered CPA, not practicing. Um, So she has a strong background (laughs) in tax and compliance and has done a lot of work with business owners. She's a graduate of Bentley University, where she also received her master's in financial planning. Before joining us, she worked at RSM in their tax department and realized that tax wasn't really her calling, but wealth management (laughs) and working with clients was. Um, So we are very fortunate to have her. Thank you, Carrie. So like Carrie said, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Susie Panduku, and I am a wealth advisor at Lexington, and I did just celebrate my five-year anniversary. Um, So very excited to be here. Um, During those five years, I've not only enjoyed helping clients grow their wealth, but also I love educating clients. So thank you all for joining today. But I would love for this to be an interactive meeting. So if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to just jump right in and let's not wait till the end. Let's let's have a, a conversation and a dialogue here. So um, with that, I'll get started. So um, this is the investable universe. Um, there are the, There is a wide range of investments that range from stocks to bonds, to real assets, to alternative investments. Today, we're gonna focus mostly on stocks and bonds. Um, but when just for your information, when you do hear real assets, you can think like real estate, commodities, or gold. These are things that don't typically act as traditional equities slash stocks or traditional fixed income slash bonds. Um, and then just for your information, when you hear alternatives, you can think like private equity and private debt, which we are not going to cover today. Unless anybody has questions specifically about those, I'm happy to keep that high level, but just for today, we'll we'll tend to focus on the the bonds and the stocks. Um, so bonds, bonds are also known as fixed income. So this is the portion of the portfolio that's meant to be stable and meant to be more of a safety net. We did not see this last year. So with the rising rates of 2022, we did see bonds fluctuate a little bit more than we typically would. But for the most part, bonds, um, these this is often the more conservative portion of the portfolio. So for investors who are more risk averse, they typically have a larger portion of their wealth in bonds. 
Um, bonds don't fluctuate in value like stocks do. Again, 2022 was a historically bad year for bonds, so let's ignore that year. But typically, they they don't fluctuate up and down like stocks. Um, instead, they they provide a steady income stream or a coupon um, in in the in the in as an interest payment to um, to an investor. Um, so those who are more conservative investors like that income stream, that steady income stream every month, quarter um, that the, the bond issues. Um, so there are many different types of bonds. So there's traditional high quality core fixed income like um, corporate bonds, government bonds, treasury bonds, municipal bonds, um, just a few examples. There are also uh, junk bonds, which are more um, higher higher they pay a higher interest rate because they're not quite as um high quality as the the traditional core fixed income um so we like to have both you know we call it credit fixed income um junk bonds we like to have an allocation to those in the fixed income um portfolio just to have some sort of diversification within um the bond strategies um in addition to the different types of bonds, we like to have um, different durations. So we might have bonds that are longer term, shorter term, um, again, all to add to the diversification of the portfolio. Um, before I move to stocks or equities, does anybody have any questions on bonds? Susie, could you maybe just explain what duration is for folks who are new to the world of bonds? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So duration is the term that, um, so a bond, like it says on the screen here, you are a lender to um, to the, the, the borrower. So the lender, as a lender, you are, um, you're entitled to a certain term as to how long it takes for the borrower to pay you back. So duration is, that's what it's referring to, how long it's going to take for the borrower to pay back the loan. So the longer term, the longer duration, typically we have a higher interest payment or a higher coupon rate. Um, so that would be, so that might qualify as a junk bond if it's a longer duration, um, you might get um, a, a higher interest rate for that. Shorter duration, because you're not taking on quite as much risk, um, you're going to get your money back sooner. That interest rate might have a, a um, might have a, a lower interest. So now stocks are equities. So these are, you know, you're probably more familiar with stocks. It's kind of an easier explanation. You own, you own shares in a company um, versus being a lender. So equities or stocks are the complement to bonds in a portfolio. So while bonds are meant to be the more conservative portion of the portfolio, stocks provide the growth. Um, so the higher the allocation to stocks, the more volatility a portfolio might have, but over the long term will result in more growth. Um, so depending on a client's time horizon or risk tolerance, we'll work with them to determine what an appropriate allocation to stocks might be. So for example, for me, as somebody who's in her early 30s, in my accumulation years, I might have a higher allocation to stocks than someone who's entering retirement um, and who might be starting to draw on their portfolio sooner. So someone who is in their drawing years might want more steady income and therefore want a higher allocation to bonds and fixed income. 
So that portion of stocks to, to bonds is what we call an asset allocation. So you might be familiar with 60% or 60-40, that would be 60% equities, 40% fixed income. Okay, so once we determine what an appropriate asset allocation is, we wanna determine how we capture that asset class. So in other words, what vehicles are we going to use to capture each asset class? So for you know both fixed income and equities, we can use individual holdings, whether it's individual stocks or individual bonds. Um, typically at Lexington, we are not uh, stock pickers. So while individual stocks do have their pros, they're highly liquid. There's no internal expense ratios. You can actually control what companies you own. You get to, you're physically buying the shares. Um, they're also tax efficient. Um, we, you know, we feel that by holding only a few individual stocks, you open yourself up to that individual stock risk. Um, that doesn't mean we don't purchase individual stocks. We use separate account managers that, you know, will build out a portfolio using individual stocks, but that portfolio has a strategy tied to it. So we're by no means purchasing like, you know, Tesla or Disney, just that one stock. We're incorporating a well-diversified universe of stocks. Um, so again, we don't purchase individual stocks aside from if we're using a separate account manager. What we do like to use are stock mutual funds or exchange traded funds, which are often called ETFs or index funds. Um, so, you know, we use exchange traded funds or mutual funds um, because, you know, why just own one stock when you can own 500? Um, so by buying the mutual funds or the funds, um, you're increasing your diversification within your portfolio. Um, and you're using managers that are actually doing the research as to what stocks to buy, where to buy. Um, and they're able to make that nimble decision as to, you know, do we get into this stock? Do we get out of this stock? And when? So while mutual funds and exchange-traded funds do have internal expense ratios, the costs for, for the exchange-traded funds are only a few basis points and are well worth the diversification and expertise of the manager. So any questions there? I have a question. Um, could you sure. explain um, basis points? Because that's yes. not a term I'm familiar Good with. <laughs> Good question. Thank you. Yeah, so basis points. So when you work with an advisor, you might hear about their management fees. So that might be, you know, I'm just using a hypothetical here, 1% of the assets under management. So that's the fee that goes to the, the um, financial manager. Um, and then for every mutual fund or exchange traded fund that the manager might buy for you, that fund has what's called an internal expense ratio. And it could range anywhere from, you know, three basis points, which is a percentage of whatever your, the balance is in that fund up to, you know, what, 100 basis points or 1%. Um, so the more actively traded mutual funds have higher expense ratios. And the thought is that you're paying for, you know, you're thinking that the manager has a better chance of, um, of outperforming the index versus the exchange traded funds or index funds are really just tracking the index. So they're going to be much lower cost, only a, a couple basis points. Um, 
And then, like I said, the separate account managers that we might use for those individual stock portfolios, they tend to, to range anywhere from like 20 to 25 basis points. But, um, but you know, there are tax um, tax reasons for using those types of accounts that um, the tax loss harvesting, which I'm not going to get into today unless anybody wants me to, to go there, um, that actually might offset um, some of that fee, if not a lot of it. So um, so the, the basis points are the internal expense ratios. That's very important. And that's something when you're building a portfolio, you definitely want to keep an eye on because, you know, um, to the extent that you can use index funds, um, you know, that, that might make sense if you want to keep it a low, a lower, as low of a cost of a portfolio as you want. But, um, but there are some asset classes like international, for example, that it might be, you might be better off using actively, uh, managed funds, mutual funds with a higher expense ratio, because you're really paying for the expertise and the boots on the ground in those, um, in those countries. So, um, so I, I kind of alluded to this before, um, diversification, um, so I'm sure if you work with an advisor and if you work with Lexington Wealth, I know for sure you've probably heard diversification. Um, you know, it is so easy to only invest in the S&P 500, which is the, U the U.S. large cap index we hear the most about on, on the news, you know, with it, talking with our friends. Um, you know, it's the most efficient asset class. Um, and for a lot of people, they're just more comfortable investing in, you know, the US um, S&P 500. You know, we're customers of a lot of the co of the companies that are in the S&P 500. Um, so we're not quite as comfortable investing internationally. Um, but when we are building portfolios, we definitely want to diversify among various different asset classes, regions, styles, um, size, and, you know, as I was saying before, the active versus passive. So, you know, the asset classes are being the stocks versus bonds versus real assets. As I said at the beginning, the real assets would be real estate. That's something we've started to incorporate over the past few years um, as inflation has really been a hot topic. Um, so we've kind of made that as the third or the third leg of the stool of our portfolios. Um, by region, again, you know, international versus US. Um, we might not be as comfortable investing internationally, but you know, given where the US markets are versus international, you know, international has haven't quite performed quite as well as US historically, but we're looking forward here and we want to invest forward-looking. We don't want to put too much emphasis on historical returns. We're, we're looking into the future. We're working with our research team to determine what our best thinking is. Um, and so having an allocation to international, um, you know, both developed and emerging markets, we feel is important. Um, and then by style, you might be hearing a lot about growth versus value, especially in the last year and a half with the rising interest rates. Um, you know, value outperformed last year versus growth companies um, this year has have been outperforming. Um, you know, typically, at least me personally, um, you know, when I'm building portfolios, I don't really want to tilt 
in either direction, but maybe have a balanced approach between the two, because it's just, it's, it, it's hard to go back and forth. You know, you never know who, which one's going to outperform the other. So by having a nice balanced approach and diversification between um, the both of them, you'll, you'll um, be able to get some of that up, some of that value. And then again, by size. So within the equities, for example, you know, we have U.S. large cap, large companies and um, U.S. small cap, which are small companies. Um, and then same with international, too. We have international large companies and international small companies. Um, and then by management, again, that active versus passive we might want to use active management, which does tend to be higher cost, but we we feel there might be um, some value add in the international asset classes by using actively uh, managed funds versus passive index funds that um, we might use for more efficient um, asset classes like U.S. large cap. Um, so I love this quilt chart. Um, you know, I feel like we've used this for years and excuse me, it's a little outdated. It's as of last year. Um, but I think, you know, just given this, um, this chart here, it does a really good job showing visually the benefit of diversification. While we might think the U.S. large cap has been the highest performing asset class every year, because it might feel that way. Um, looking at this, you know, every asset, so just to explain it a little bit, every asset class is a different um, color. So, you know, looking over at the last 10 years, you see that, you know, there's a lot of different colors up at the top here. So this is the highest up at the top is obviously the higher um, returning asset class in that year. So yes, in 2019, that was U.S. large cap. Um, 2020 was U.S. small cap. Um, and then, you know, 2017 was emerging markets. So, you know, I think this just does a great, great job of showing, um, you know, the 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 fact that every year it's been kind of a mishmash of what's at the top. Um, so it just goes to show, you know, you want to have that diversification. You want to have many different asset classes in your portfolio so that you can reap the benefits of these asset classes that um, that we might not think are at the top, um, the higher performing as a class for the year, but actually are. Susie, could you talk a little bit about the, the balance, the yellow box that sort of seems to be. Yes. So, for position there and, and holding its own. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so the balanced, um, I believe, and Carrie, feel free to jump in if, if I'm wrong here, the balanced, I believe is, um, that would be like a, a typical balanced portfolio. Where might that, um, land in the whole scheme of this diversification. So I think that's a, the balanced portfolio being a 60% equity, 40% fixed income. So that just kind of goes to show if that's your allocation that you're in, that's kind of where you would fall, you know, among all the different asset classes. So again, that 60% that you have in equities, you might have some US, some international, some real assets. And then in the 40%, you might have some of the high quality fixed income or the um, the high credit fixed income. Um, so, you know, when you combine all of that, that balance kind of represents the mix of that 60-40 and where that would fall um, as it relates to all of the these other asset classes. I feel like a common question we get asked is, you know, when should we start investing? And, you know, I think 
personally, I don't think it's ever too early to start. The answer is now. Um, so, you know, every client situation is different um, and everybody has different priorities. Um, you know, some people might be saving for a house. Other people might be saving for education or retirement. Um, you know, once you've built up an emergency cash reserve and you have extra savings every month that you might want to start putting away to earn and grow, the earlier you can do that, um, the better. And the reason is this compounded growth. So every year that you put money away and you're investing it, it's continuing to grow and grow. And that growth is also growing. So, um, you know, there's this rule of 72 where, you know, hypothetically, if you are, if you're investing in your annual return, again, hypothetically is 10%, and I'm using it as a nice round number. <laughs> the rule of 72 is if you divide 72 by 10, this, and theoretically, your money should double in 7.2 years. So, you know, by, and that's just to, that's just a really simplified way of showing the power of compounding. So, you know, the earlier we can start, the better, because over a lifetime, that's, that's a lot of growth. Um, you know, automate savings to the extent possible. I mean, being diligent and budget, personally, I like to budget in savings every month that I just stock away into, into uh, my portfolio, um, you know, Carrie likes to say automate and save just, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind, direct it directly to the investment account and just have it automatically go. Um, you know, if you're, if, if you're being diligent about that, I think that's awesome. And, you know, that last bullet point here, giving yourself a raise, um, you know, as your earnings increase over time, theoretically, that amount that you're, you're putting away into savings to invest you know, will grow as well. So, you know, if you get a, a new job or a big promotion, obviously treat yourself a little bit. But um, but to the, to the extent you have extra every month, you should be setting that aside so that you're saving more and more um, every year. Um, so this, this chart here, I think is actually a really great one. Um, and the, the saver I'd like to point out is this Quitter Quincy. So Quitter Quincy invests um, $200 a month between the ages of 25 and 35, and she or they invest it. Um, and so compare, compare them to late Layla, who invests $200 per month starting at age 35 for the next 30 years. Again, Quitter Quincy only saved for 10 years. Late Layla saved for 30 years. If you look at the at the ending at age 65, they're practically the same. Um, so that just goes to show that the earlier you start saving, the better. And again, it's it's all it's all about that compounded growth. Um, and this is something that we like to talk to clients about who are, you know, in the position where they can gift to their kids. Um, their kids have earnings. Um, you know, a great way to do this is, you know, you if you want to gift to them, you can gift using a Roth IRA if they're eligible to make a Roth contribution. And every year you contribute, the maximum is um, the, the larger of either 6,500 or their earnings. So assuming they can contribute the full 6,500, if you gift that to a Roth IRA every year, 
you're making a $6,500 gift to them. It gets invested. Yes, they don't have access. They can't touch it until they're age 59 and a half, but that then grows tax-free over the next, you know, 30 plus years, which is just a really great gift to be able to give um, to the next generation. All right. So behavioral issues in investing. Um, So I feel like the past or in 2022 and even in 2020, you know, when the market came down so fast in March 2020 and came up so fast, I think that was faster than any of us would have expected. But, you know, a lot of what we were saying to our clients, it's so uncomfortable to see your portfolio go down. But and it's it might feel good in the moment to pull out and go to cash because cash is the safety net. But that's very short term thinking. And that's, you know, this this first bullet right here. Short term thinking is the root of most investing problems. If you can, unless you need the money at that time and you need the money within, you know, a certain amount of months and you don't think that it's you think the market's only going to go down, um, you know, that's a different situation. But if you're, this is money that you're not planning on using for, you know, years or even into retirement, um, you know, you, you absolutely do not want to think short-term. You want to think long-term, um, you know, if you can focus on the next five years and you can, and you can, you know, look past this, this hiccup, um, you will absolutely pay off, um, Investing is, you know, a game of psychology. You know, again, it feels really uncomfortable to buy when the market is low, but that is the best opportunity to buy. Um, You know, again, March 2020, um, you know, I give kudos to the clients who were, you know, saying, nope, I get it. Let's let's put some cash in Um, and those who did and, you know, purchase. And again, we never know when the bottom is. um, So we just try to make strategic decisions along the way and help educate. But, um, you know, at that point, the market had pulled back. So for those clients who were willing to, you know, put a little bit of cash in, they they were rewarded for that. Again, you're buying low um, and then, you know, you 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 want to sell high at at a certain point. Um there are no points awarded for difficulty. So um again, you know, we're when we work with clients, we build the portfolio. These are long-term portfolios. Um we're buying things that, you know, or asset classes that we plan on being in the portfolio for a long time. We're not, you know, buying one thing and then selling out a couple months later because that's where we think the opportunity lies. We are strategic, we're disciplined. Um, you know, we don't want to be buying and selling and buying buying and selling. That's just not what we do. Um, you know, we might do some tax loss harvesting, which involves some buying and selling, but that again doesn't change the strategy. It doesn't change the asset allocation. You're still invested in the different asset classes, um, but you know we're we're not necessarily going for for difficulty. We want to be, you know, straightforward. That diversified buy and hold strategy. You know, I like that. Some find it boring, but the purpose of investing isn't to reduce boredom; it's to increase wealth. I I I liked that quote. So you know, all past market crashes are viewed as opportunities, but all future crashes crashes are viewed as risks. It's just, you're never going to know when the next crash is going to come. So again, you're just, 
you want to be, you want to stick to your strategy. You want to come up with a strategy with your advisor that you're comfortable with, that you can stick with through, um, through ups and downs. Um, you know, coming off of a year like 2022, it's a great pulse check for our clients. You know, how did you feel last year when everything just literally everything, even bonds, as I mentioned earlier, were down? How did that make you feel if, you know, you were uncomfortable, then, you know, we might want to revisit your asset allocation in your strategy. Um, so that next time, because there will be a next time, um, you feel like you're comfortable staying with the, um, with the strategy. Um, and then this last, this last rule, um, you know, you're only diversified if some of your investments are performing worse than others. You know, it's true. You have, you know, in our portfolios, we have anywhere from, you know, 12 plus 12 to 15 asset classes, and not all of them are going to be up at once. And last year, all of them were down. But well, actually, that's not true. We did have one or two that were up. So again, not uh, again, the value of being diversified. Um, so, you know, although some might be performing worse than others, um, you know, in years like 2022, it was nice to have the the diversified portfolio because those couple of asset classes helped soften the blow during a year when a lot of um, typical um, investors were down um, almost 20%. I think so many, what so many clients um, and folks often come to us and say, is this the right time to invest? You know, did I, did I, did I miss it? Last year was such a bad year. This year has been such a great year. Did I miss it? What, what should I be doing with my money right now? Um, you know, what would you, how, how would you advise someone if they asked you that question today? <laughs> I mean, I, I think it all kind of comes back to, you know, time horizon and what is your intention with the money? Is it something that you are going to need in a year to buy a house? Is it something that you're not going to need, you know, for 10 years until you're into retirement? I think those are both, you know, those would be different answers for, for the client who's looking for long term, you know, I'd say coming off a year like 2022, um, everything was down. We are still, you know, although we've come back, we're not back to where we were at the beginning of 2022. So we are still in an environment where it's we're better than where we were when it was the top at the end of 2021. Um, so, and again, I, I it all goes back to this short-term thinking here. If you can think on the long term, um, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna remember what the market was doing today when we invested that money. You're gonna think, what's it gonna be in 10 years from now? So, you know, there are strategies that we can put into place to help soften the emotional blow today if we were to invest it all at once and then the market was to go down and um and that that's called dollar cost averaging. If you know you came to me with you know a million dollars and you didn't want to put it all in at once because you didn't want that emotional feeling of, oh, I should have waited. Oh, why did I do that? You know, dollar cost averaging kind of takes that emotion out of it where you put, you know, 250,000, um, you know, four tranches of $250,000 in the market at once so that you're kind of spreading it out and you're, you're buying at different price points. And sure, maybe the market's going up over that time, but then you're, you know, you're kind of feeling like, okay, if the market goes down, I still have, you know, 750,000 to put to work. 
um, you know, when the market's down. And if the market's up, then that money that you've invested is up as well. And again, over the long term, you know, out looking where the money is going to be, whether we dollar cost averaged or we put it all um, to work at once, the the average annual return isn't going to be any different, um, or at least it'll be very very similar. I shouldn't say it's not going to be different. It'll be very similar. You won't it, there. You won't really get penalized over the long term if you dollar cost average versus put it all at once. Um, so this chart here um, shows the performance over the last ten years if you were fully invested um, versus if you missed you know, just the 10 best days. So this, this chart here shows the importance of, um, of time in the market and not necessarily timing the market. I feel like as advisors, you know, the question we always get is, you know, when should I be buying? When's the low? Like, you know, when should I be getting out? When's the high? And it's just impossible to know when that, when that's going to be. So, um, in, in times of market volatility, like 2020 and 2022, you know, looking at, and, and this chart right here really only, um, this is December as of December 31st, 2021. So it doesn't show 2022. So really just 2020, um, if you were fully invested during that time, your return was about annual return was about nine and a half percent. If you missed just the 10 best days, so if you were out of the market for just 10 days, the 10 best days, your performance, your annual return was cut in half. And it, as you can see, it continues to go. And these this these facts right here, you know, seven of the best 10 days occurred within two weeks of the 10 worst days and six of the seven best days occurred after the worst days. So again, it's hard to know when that bottom's going to be and you know timing you know you're going to have to sell at the perfect at the perfect moment of knowing that it's you know if you're if you're going to sell when the market's uncomfortable you're you're going to have to time it twice you're going to have to time it selling it and then you're going to have to time it getting back in you know if you sold you know on march i forget what exactly the the worst day was and then you didn't get in until you know even april you would have missed um again the so the second worst day of 2020 was march 12th immediately followed by the second best day of the year so if you missed if you're trying to play around with you know timing the market and getting in and out and what what makes sense you know the the point of this chart is to say don't even do that just stick with the strategy, be disciplined, and it'll pay off. You know, we have again, it all goes back to that strategy and being comfortable with the strategy so that during times like 2020 and 2022, you can stay invested um, and, and, you know, it will pay off. How would you recommend someone get started? on this journey of investing. You know, maybe I just graduated and I just got my first job. I might have some student loan debt. Like how, how do I, where do I even begin? That's a great question. So, um, you know, if you're starting out with, with your first job, um, you know, I would, my first recommendation would be to, um, to look into whether your employer has a 401k and if you have a match with that 401k. That's kind of a nice, easy way to, again, automate and save that money you're not really going to be even seeing in a bank account. Um, you're going to be, hopefully, if if you get a match, that's free money that you're going to get in addition to what you're contributing. Um, and that's going into a, an account that typically is invested using a target date fund 
Um, so that's kind of an easy, an easy way to invest. Um, you know, the target date fund is a fund that, you know, you put your money into and, um, and it's tied to your retirement date. So as you get closer to your retirement date, the, the money gets, um, gets more conservative. So that's on the 401k side of things. If you're an individual investor that doesn't have a 401k, um, you know, if you want to start saving for retirement, you can use, you know, a, a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA. Um, a traditional IRA is, um, you know, it, you get a tax deduction for it and then it grows tax deferred. And then eventually when you reach a certain age, you have to withdraw the funds and you pay ordinary income tax on it. Um, if you qualify for a Roth IRA, um, it's after tax dollars today, but then the account continues to grow tax free. So Roth dollars are are awesome. Um, so if you've maxed out both your 401k and your Roth um, and you want to start saving for, you know, a down payment on a house someday, um, that's, you know, not next year, but maybe a couple of years from now um, or you know, three plus years, um, you know, you can open up an account with, you know, Fidelity or Schwab or um, there are even um, apps like Mint, I think Minted is, or Robinhood, um, where you can, you can, you know, put together a strategy um, and just do it as simply over the phone. But, um, or, you know, you can work with somebody like us who will help you come up with a strategy, help you invest in mutual funds and exchange traded funds that ultimately will help you, um, you know, achieve your goals, whether that again is to buy a house, to save for retirement, to save for education um, and stuff like that. Um, you spoke about investing early. Is there ever a time that it's too late? Um, and what are your suggestions with limited funds for investing to help with retirement? Yeah. So, you know, I don't think it's ever too late. I mean, I think that um, to the extent that you still have money that you're saving, um, it's, and you don't want to just keep it in your bank account. Right now, bank accounts probably they're probably paying more than they were a year ago, but not enough. Um, if you have extra money, you can direct that. If it's for retirement, you can direct that to, um, to you know, an IRA or a Roth IRA or a taxable account. Um, taxable accounts don't have limits, but if you were to to invest or if you were to save, direct the funds to an IRA or a Roth, depending on your age, if you're over age 50, you actually get an extra $500 in annual savings that you can contribute to the IRA. So that's kind of a nice catch up for saving for retirement um, that the IRS lets us do. And again, I don't think it's ever too late to start doing that, um, especially since the IRS is saying, okay, you're over age 50, you want to save more, do it. You know, they're kind of encouraging you to do it as long as you um, you have the funds to do so. Um, and then it's the same for 401ks too. Um, you get an extra, I think it's 6,500 for 401k contributions, employee contributions, Um if you're contributing, if you're participating in an employer plan. Um, so there's definitely, even on like the, on the IRS side of things, they're encouraging you to also save more. Um, and then on the, on the taxable account side of things, again, there's no, um, there's no limit as to what you can contribute. It's really, you know, what you're comfortable with. 
Um, and then maybe depending on your age and depending on your time horizon, you know, when you're going to need those, that money, that'll kind of determine, you know, do you want to put it more in stocks and, and take on more risk in order to get more growth? Or are you going to need these funds a little bit sooner? So you don't want to take on quite as much risk, um, as you might otherwise. And I think you, when you were talking about 401ks, you mentioned target date funds, um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, those, for those of you who don't know it, there's a whole variety. I feel like every company yeah. offers them now, whether it's Vanguard mm-hmm. or Fidelity or T. Rowe Price, you do often find them in your retirement plans and they are cr- created to rebalance annually based on um, your target for when you think you may be taking the money out of the account and actually using it for expenses. So no longer saving and investing, but using it. So they are geared to de-risk over time, meaning they will rebalance how much is in stocks and how much is in bonds or cash. And over time, less and less will be in stocks and more and more will be in bonds. Um, So Mm -hmm. it's kind of an easy one-stop shop, but what you want to be careful about is just making sure you understand what underlies it uh, because it may not necessarily be the best investment for you and what you actually Mm -hmm. need, uh, depending on what your other assets and time horizons are. Uh, I I think the biggest, um, you know, the most important question for for investors to consider is before even wondering about how much to put in U.S., international, emerging markets, real estate, uh, it's got to start with you figuring out what is the objective. And Susie Mm -hmm. mentioned this earlier, the time horizon of how long you're going to have that money invested and how much risk you can afford to take, because uh, we can't predict where the market's going to go in the short term. And anybody who tells you that they can is, um, you know, I I don't say they're lying to you. I'm sure they're very confident in their forecast, but um, it's virtually impossible. So, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously if if it's money that you are going to be needing for a down payment, um, probably don't want to take a lot of risk with it. But Mm -hmm. if it is truly geared for saving for retirement, uh, your time horizon is longer. And so the biggest question is, of the money that you have available to invest, how much should be allocated to cash or short-term investments for emergency funds or planned expenses? And then how much could go into stocks and bonds? Once you get sort of that big picture figured out, then you can flow down to figuring out how to diversify it um, into other asset classes. On behalf of all of us of Lexington, say thank you uh, for joining us today. As a reminder, we are here and happy to have a conversation with anyone either on this screen or in your life that uh, could use some help or has questions uh, because that's what we are all about. Uh, We're connecting the head and heart of wealth management um, and that extends to all avenues of of financial and Mm -hmm. wealth and well-being. So um, just wanted to make sure I got those little plugs in. Uh, but uh, again, if folks have additional questions, we're happy to stay on and address them. And we're always our door is always open. Susie, any closing thoughts that you wanted to share? No, thank you. And thank you all for your questions. I appreciated the dialogue and um, all of the all of you know the interaction. We hope you enjoyed this episode. To listen to past podcast episodes and to see our calendar of upcoming events, visit our website, empower-women.com. 
We also invite you to join us on August 8th for our next Empower Women event, The Five Pillars of Responsible Decluttering. Hightower Advisors LLC is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity-specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult with their tax or legal advisor for related questions.